All right. We are starting a new series in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, you turn there. And while you're turning there, just kind of give you a, a nutshell what James is all about. Listen, the book of James, I would like to call it a book of gospel wisdom. All right, it's kind of a mesh between the Proverbs of the Old Testament and the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus proclaimed uh, while he was on the earth walking and preaching and healing. And James was kind of a part of that. And the reason why I know that is because, well, James was Jesus' half-brother. All right, now you're thinking, half-brother? Oh no, what happened in their, in their life? Well, they had the same mom. Different dad, right? Different dad. All right. Uh, yeah, different dad. Uh, so the half-brother. And it, what's so cool about this is if you look in the first verse, James doesn't really say, hey, I'm James. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I'm pretty awesome. But instead, he calls himself a servant of Jesus. What a, what a very humble thing for this man to say. James became a very prominent leader in the early church. Now, he didn't believe in Jesus until the resurrection. Uh, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, that it was afterwards, whenever they came to know Christ uh, as Savior and Lord. But listen, uh, as, we talk, as we talk about this book in James, keep in mind it is a book of wisdom, of gospel wisdom. The challenge that James wants to give you and I is this, how you can walk in wisdom and faith. How to walk in wisdom and faith. So today's journey, and everyone for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at... Uh, Walk one way versus a different way, okay? Whether by works or by faith, uh, through blessing or cursing, faithful, faithless. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two paths that we can take in our broken and trial-filled world. Uh, path number one is to grow through our trials. Path number two is to stumble in temptation. So if you've got your Bible, if you go to uh, James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. All right, let's stop there. When you meet trials. Did you catch that? Not if. Not if. If you're out there saying, I hope he's not talking about me. Yeah, we are. It's all of us. It's inevitable. When, not if. Trials in life are going to happen. They're unavoidable. But listen, here's the cool part. They're not without purpose. Your trials are not without purpose. And they're not undefeatable. The trials that you're going through are not undefeatable. So basically, what we're going to find out is trials, the things that you and I go through, whether on a daily, weekly, monthly, or even a decade-long trial or more, your trials become the testing ground for great spiritual victory. Now, at this point, you're saying, boy, that feels warm and toasty. Bring it on, right? Bring it on. Who's pumped about trials? Raise your hand. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> Listen, what I want to talk about today is the purpose. The purpose of trials. Number one, the first purpose of trials is that trials can produce maturity. That's what's good about trials is what they produce. All right, let's go back to verse 2. James 1, 2 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, all right, for you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces steadfastness, that stick to 
All right? And let steadfastness, that strength, even in the midst of weakness, trial, patience, persecution, whatever, and let steadfastness have its full effect, which means keep standing in the midst of it. Let it have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, let me say this again. Isn't it exciting to go through trials? Really? Bring it on? Is that, is that, <laughs> I don't think it's very exciting to go through trials. Let's just be honest. I hope something tough happens today. I mean, that's what y'all said, right? Yeah, bring it on. To me, I'm going to be honest. It's not exciting to go through trials. So how can we count it joy? If it's not exciting to go through trials, how can we count it joy? Not because of the trial itself, but listen, because of what the trial can produce. Here's what I mean by that. How many of y'all, it's a rhetorical question, how many of y'all are excited about going to work tomorrow? Then why go? Paycheck, right? Kind of need that paycheck. So that's why you endure, right? Because there's something that you're going to get next week or whatever. How many of y'all are going to the gym soon? Why do you go? Man, I love it when my muscles ache. It's awesome. No, you go because of what it produces, right? It produces a healthier lifestyle, whatever the case may be, right? So, we don't count these, these trials joy because we, we're, we're masochists, right? And we love pain. The reason why we can rejoice, count it all joy, according to the scripture says, is that when we meet these trials, for you know that it's going to test your faith. And you know that it's going to produce steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, work the whole week, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see that? It's about what it produces in us. That's why we are called to count it joy. And as you encounter trials, and you all are, here's what you need to ask yourself. Why? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Well, here's another question. Who am I really living for? Who am I really living for? you got a couple of options. Number one, you can live for self. And if you live for yourself, okay, my goal in life is self-preservation. Then that means that your actions are going to be escaping every trial that comes your way, right? You don't want to endure trial. If it's about living for myself and my own self-preservation, when trials come, I go the other way. Right? Isn't that what we do? When we're all about ourselves, in our mind, we're like, my goal here is to live a happy life, okay? To live as stress-free, as pain-free as possible. That's what I want to do. And what we come to find out, those are the people who are the most stressed. Those are the people who are the most unhappy. But if your goal, if if the answer to your question, who am I living for, is for Christ. If you have come to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you want to live your life for Him, then you don't always want to escape the trials. 
you know that there is a gracious and loving God who either allows or ordains these trials to take place. And so instead of escaping, you endure them. You walk through them knowing that he has a great plan for you in the midst of this trial. And when the trial is over, you glorify God and you become stronger. We know these things to be true. James says that. He says, for you know these things. Without trials, guess what? You can't grow. Without working out, your muscles will not strengthen. Without going to work, you will not get a paycheck. Without the testing of your faith, here it comes, you will have a little faith in God. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, the real tragedy is that most people never trust God until they have to. And then they have no experience to fall back on. We have to be people that understand that trials are important because of this. Listen, this is going to sound kind of opposite here. But without trials, you would not be able to handle trials. Every trial prepares you for the next trial so that you can become victorious through it. If we've already said trials are inevitable, then what you need to do is to prepare for them. What I need to do is to prepare for them. If someone says, Scott, we need you to do this. It's a big deal. I need you to run a 5K in three months. It's time to start preparing now, (laughs) okay? Because it's not going to be pretty, all right? Well, on a greater scale, listen, whatever trial God is putting in front of you today, don't run away from it. I want to ask you to run to Him. In the very midst of it, He wants to be with you. Which brings me to point number two. Point number one, trials can produce maturity, and that's what we need. But listen to this, trials also can produce dependence. And I desperately need dependence upon God. Because everything I try to do of myself always fails. He says in verse 5, James 1.5 says this, And if any of you lacks wisdom, think about this, someone who's going through a trial, they're feeling the weight of it, but they want to be steadfast. Okay, they want to be able to say, God, now, now, they're not masochistic, all right, saying bring it on. But they're like, God, I'm going through something right now. And I know that you either allowed or ordained it. So that must mean it must be for my good and for your glory. Or it could be not only for those things, but it also could be good for the, for the good of others. For my church, for my kids, for my family. And so God, I want to go through this, but I'm going to be honest with you, God. I don't know what to do here. I want to stand, but I don't know where to stand. I don't know where to have my sure footing in this area. And so he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who does what? Listen to this. He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That is amazing. I can go to God and say, God, I don't have it figured out. And he's not going to reproach me. He's not going to say, you idiot. Again, really? No. He's a loving father who says, thank you for coming to me because I've had the answer all the time and I was just waiting for you to ask, waiting for you to to depend upon me. 
And so that's the attitude, that's the posture we need to have when it comes to trials. We need to be a people who are dependent on the one who knows everything. I've heard it said that there was a, a kid who was playing in a sand, uh, a sand, whatever you call that sand thing, sand pit, okay, at their house, okay? The, 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 where kitty cats love to play in, okay? No, I'm kidding. But, so he's playing, and while he's playing, he realized there's this huge rock. So this kid is kind of digging around the rock. He's trying to lift it the best he could. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He just started crying right there, just weeping. And so the father, the whole time, was looking out the window, seeing the kid and struggling. So then the father comes out and says, son, what's the matter? He goes, I can't move this rock. I can't do anything. The dad looks at him and says, why don't you ask me for help? And within seconds, the stone was moved because the dad had the strength. Folks, I'm telling you, if you are a Christ follower, your dad has the strength to get you through the trial. You can't do it alone. Stop trying. Come to him independence. When trials come, you don't know what God's up to. Ask. God wants you to be victorious in this trial. He wants you to. He either allowed or ordained this trial for your good. And so he wants you to be victorious in this trial. He wants to produce in you a maturity that you never could have by avoiding this trial. Let me ask you a question. Is that what you want? Do you want to grow up? Do you want to become mature? Do you want to be a strong follower of Christ? If that's true, stop trying to figure it out on your own. You and I are not built for independence. And I'm going to go a step further. We didn't become dependent when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Okay, dependence didn't happen because of sin. Adam and Eve were called to depend on God before the sin even came. So it is built into our DNA from the beginning that we are made to depend on God and to depend on one another. God has made us for community. So God says when you're lacking, ask for wisdom. God gives you a maturing family of faith. That's the people around you. Go ahead and look and say, thanks for being my mature family. Go ahead. Thanks for being my mature family. Okay, now look at him again and say, you, need a, you got a lot of growing up to do. You got... <laughs> Listen, the heart of God is for us to ask, to seek, and to knock. That's prayer. God is calling each and every one of us to pray. He's calling us to gather together, to not forsake the assembling of each other. God is calling us to not live this life alone, to be there for each other. So trials can, if you allow it to, can produce a dependence that you so desperately need to admit. Which brings us to number three. Trials can reveal doubt. And I'm here to tell you it's a good thing. You've heard it said before, if you, if you uh, squeeze fruit, what's going to come out is fruit juice, right? All right. When you are going through struggles and you're being squeezed, what's going to come out? Is it going to be anger? Is it going to be lust? Is it going to be uh, self, um, 
self-protection? Is it going to be lies? Is it going to be all these types of things? What, when you are pressured, what is going to come out? So I'm here to tell you that it is a blessing from God for us to go through trials that can reveal doubts in our hearts and lives. Look at verse 6. He says, if anyone's lacking wisdom, let him ask. But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Don't doubt this. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's a lot of words there, and time will not allow me to walk through all of them. But let's just lump them together for time's sake. He says that there are doubters. These doubters are unstable people. They don't know where to go. They don't have a sure footing. They're not steadfast. They're doubting, they're unstable, and it says they're, they're double-minded. The original word there means that they're two-souled, okay? Two souls in them who are at battle. They're double-minded, which means this. They want the best of both worlds without the cost. They want the best of both worlds, but without the cost, okay? They're like, I want heaven, but I want to live like the world, all right? They're the ones that says, I want, I want God to produce in me a maturity like all those people uh, who have gone before us who are right here in the Bible. I want that kind of faith, but I don't want the persecution that comes with it. Listen, you cannot effectively go through trials. You cannot effectively walk with Christ if you are allowing your doubts to reign in your heart. So it is a blessing of God for him to reveal your doubts so that you can properly deal with them and ask the Father for help. Listen, if you want maturity in Christ, you must be willing to pay the price. If you want the obedience of Noah, you got to deal with a hundred years of trials. If you want the faithfulness of Moses, you're going to have to have a Pharaoh that comes along with it. If you want the the faith of David, there's a Goliath. You want to have uh, the passion like Paul the Apostle? That comes with religious persecutors. You want the spiritual blessings? You must have the sacrifice. If you want to follow Jesus, you must carry your cross. As you go through trials, doubts are revealed in your heart and life. I tell you by the authority of God's word, deal with them. Come to God. Just like the man who who had a son who was demon-possessed, he said, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And when you come to him in humility and dependence, and reveal himself to you in a way that you have never experienced before. Why? Because you've never asked before. And when you do, God is going to give you the faith to wipe those doubts and to depend upon him. Remember the apostle Peter? Anybody heard of him? Okay, he was one of Jesus' best friends, one of his three closest companions. Peter struggled with this. Peter was the kind of guy that says, Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. I hope you save everybody, but I'm good. 
Okay? He was the one that would proclaim, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus would say, absolutely, that didn't come from you. And then Jesus says, me being the son of God, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, you're not. Nuh-uh. No, I'm going to protect you. You're never going to die. I'm not going to let your will be accomplished, God. I'm going to let my will be accomplished. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus told Peter, listen, a lot of stuff's about to happen. You need to be a man of prayer right now. He said, I don't need to be a man of prayer. I'm a man of sword. I'll protect you, Jesus. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, you need to pray with me. And instead of prayer, he took a nap. You know what happened just a few hours later? Peter, one of the best friends of Jesus, denied him three times. Why? He didn't walk through the trials that God had asked him to. Instead, he trusted himself in his own independence. And because of his independence, he doubted. Why did Peter fail? Because he doubted. Listen, some of you are thinking, I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ in the marketplace. How about you start by kneeling to him in private? Some of you say you are faithful to give your life to God. Then I ask, are you faithful to give him your tithes and offerings? You wish to reach the nations. I ask you, are you reaching out to your neighbor? You wish to be a blameless person in character for Christ. Then I ask you to stop ruining your character in front of your friends. Is Jesus worth living for? Even when it hurts. Listen, when your doubts are revealed, I want you to rejoice. Okay, I want you to, to, to get excited. Because that means that God is at work in your life. He allowed that doubt to come forward so that you can properly deal with your doubts. So you bring them to Jesus and receive his wisdom. Number four. Here's something else trials can produce. And I love this. Love number four. Trials can produce perspective. How many times do we lose perspective? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't really think I lose perspective. I love God and everything. How many times do you spend your days, your money, your time, your energy on the things that are going to die with you? Check out this perspective that James gives us. Go to verse 9. Remember, he's talking about trials. In the midst of all these trials, he says, let the lowly brother, when he's talking lowly, he's talking about a poor person, someone who is struggling in this world. Let the lowly brother boast. That's the last thing that someone who is poverty-stricken wants to do, right? Boast, but boast in what? Boast in his exaltation. Boast in this, you poor person, like us. Boast in this. You're a child of the king of kings. You have a wealth that you don't see yet, but one day you'll be an heir with Christ, a co-heir with Christ. Everything that's Christ's is yours. It doesn't matter what Wells Fargo says about you right now. All right? It doesn't matter. What ultimately matters is we can boast in the fact that we're children of God by faith and trust in his name. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich, all right, here we go. Let's talk about the rich. And the rich, you need to boast in this, in your humiliation. What? Why in the world would a rich person boast in his humiliation? Because listen, a rich person who comes to Christ realizes that one penny, any, any of his pennies that he has, is not sufficient to get him into heaven or her. They know that their money literally leaves whenever they die. There's no benefit when it comes to eternity, whether you're rich or poor. Look at how it goes on to say, and the rich is to boast uh, in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun shines with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. Perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let me ask you a question. What do the rich and what do the poor struggle with? Finances, relationships, and spiritual things. Well, the rich don't. Yes, they do. Rich people stand up and tell... I'm kidding. (laughs) No. We all struggle with the same things, don't we? We all struggle, whether you're rich or poor, you struggle with finances, relationships, and spiritual things. We're all on the same ground here. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between a rich brother and a poor brother? Here's the answer. One's rich, the other's poor. You might want to put that in the side note there. That's brilliant. How about this? How are the rich brother and the poor brother the same? They're what? Brothers. How many hours in a day does a rich person have? 24, how about a poor person? What does it take for a rich person to be saved? Faith and trust in who? And him alone, not their wealth, not their riches. What does it take for a rich person to be saved? To forsake everything except Christ. What does it take for a a poor person to be saved? You see the point? No matter who you are, No matter what your bank account says, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your race, creed, or whatever, you come to Christ, the ground is level at the cross. There is no upper echelon, there's nothing like that. It's every one of us, poor, wretched, and needy, and in in desperate need of Jesus to cleanse us of our sins, to make us without condemnation in the eyes and the sight of God. So who's the poor believer? Child of God. Who's a rich believer? Same thing. Listen, trials, if you're willing to endure them, they're going to reveal some things in your life. They're going to reveal doubts. But also they're going to produce maturity and perspective. Okay? But there's another road. Remember I said there were two paths? Okay, you can endure through trials or you could stumble in temptations. If you choose to go this other way, James has a word for us. And that's point number five. Temptations will produce something. It's going to produce something in your life. It's going to produce sin and death. Look at what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted. All right, things have changed now. First, he was talking about trials. And by the way, it's the same word that's used for trials and temptation. It all has to do with context. All right, so let... No one say when, not if, right? You're going to be tempted. 
Okay, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what this tells me is that trials are going to come from outside forces. Trials are going to come from outside forces. All right, maybe some things that other people may have done, and now I feel the weight of it. It could be the fact that God, as I said earlier, either allows or ordains trials. Why? Because God's got a great grand purpose behind it all. But temptations have a different origin. Temptations come from within. Let's read it again. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God tests. He does not, nor can he not, be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So then where do temptations come from? I'm glad you asked. Let's continue reading. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Temptations come from within us. And it says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So trials can come from outside forces. Even God, because God is wanting to grow us, to make us, and to mold us into the image of His Son, that we can become perfect, mature uh, followers of Christ. But temptations, though, come from within. We could be going through a trial right now, and because we lose perspective... Okay, or we're trying to escape and get out of it, many times we can give in to this thing called temptations. And what are temptations? Temptations are those things that we do to try to fix our trials by ourselves. Independence. Okay? Temptations are us trying to fix our trials by ourselves, independent of God. Temptations are us trying to fulfill our goals, not God's. Remember what our goal is? If it was me, if I was the king of my life, I want to escape trials so I can have a simple life. One who follows God endures trials because he or she knows that there is blessing from that. Temptations are always trying to find the easy way out. Temptations are putting our own desires above God and others. That's what temptations are. It doesn't matter what temptation you may be thinking about. It's all the same. It's you taking the crown off your Lord and Savior's head and trying to put it on your own. Trials is enduring. In marriage, it's enduring. Temptation is leave it and go be with someone else. Or, or uh, it's hard to build relationships. So instead, I choose internet or I choose pornography. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's running away from the very thing that God wants you to run after. And it's running after the things that God tells you to run away from. Temptation happens in the workplace. Getting ahead by your own methods instead of trusting that God's commands, God's way. It may take longer, but it's the right way to go. Those are temptations you and I struggle with. Now, how are we tempted? I'm glad that James, he puts this out in a beautiful, uh, poetic way to explain to us how we're tempted with evil. All right? uh, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. How are we tempted? Here we go. 
We are lured and enticed by our own desires. I'm here to tell you something that you may or may not know. You have some sinful desires in your heart. You do. You really do. And here's how, here's how the, the, the cycle of sin begins. Here's how it begins. There is a lure and there is an enticement that stirs up your desires, your sinful desires. Now, I'm going to give you some encouragement right now. You could be tempted and still not sin. <gasps> That's absolutely right. I heard it, I mean, think about it. You could be driving down the road. There could be billboards or whatever, or there could be a smell that reminds you of, of, of a, a previous time whenever you went off the rails. It's the question is, what do you do with the temptation that gets in front of you? It's what you do. I heard it said this way, and it makes so much sense to me. It's like going to a doctor's office. Has anybody ever been to a doctor's office? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, because we have trials, don't we? <laughs> All right? But listen, when you go into a doctor's office, you don't walk in from the street and immediately see your doctor, do you? No. For the most part, you don't. All right? What you normally do is you go into a waiting room. Is that right? You go into a waiting room. Who's allowed in a waiting room? Anybody. Right? Anybody's allowed in a waiting room. And that's just like temptation. All right? In your mind, there's going to be things that are going to tempt you all the time. Boom, in the waiting room. Sin comes whenever you do what the nurse does and says, uh, Mr. Scrimshire, you can come back now. You see what happened there? When you allow that temptation to go into the back room, that's where sin starts. So I urge you, as temptations come before you, I'm going to give you a simple term that it will help me out, and I hope it helps you out, okay? For example, it says, when you are lured and, and enticed by your own desires, when you feel that lure, when you feel that enticement, here, I just want to give you a simple word of encouragement. Run! Run away! Don't try to stand up against that. No, the Bible never says to do that. He says, flee these things. You need to flee these things. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Joseph who was upright, even though he had a hard life. He had some trials upon him. But even in the midst of his trial, there was one lady who wanted to go all after him. All right? And this lady was married. Bad situation. Well, one time, this lady had Joseph in her house. Okay, he, she wanted to tackle him. Or I'm, just, I'm just being blunt here, okay? The Bible's PG-13. Okay, she wanted to tackle him and she wanted to ravage him. And here's what he did. He did not say, whoa, whoa hold on, Miss Potiphar. Okay, let's sit down. Let, 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 let's walk through the scripture and see if this is a positive thing for us or a negative thing. No, it says he ran. He fled. And that's what we are called to do. When you're dealing with temptations and enticements, you run. But here's what happens if you choose not to run. Here's the problem is that when you stay and play with temptations, then you become like King David. If you read in the book of 2 Samuel, King David was supposed to be out in war, but he took himself a break, probably even a well-needed break. You know, you can argue whatever that is, but here's the problem. He went out on his roof. While he was out on his roof, he saw a lady bathing. What he should have done was said, okay, that's beautiful, but I think it's time for me to go inside. <laughs> okay, that's what should have happened. But instead, he's like, uh... Men, bring me some chips and a drink, and I'll be out here for a while. You have an option to run. If you choose not to run at first, here's what's going to happen. 
Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. When you stick around longer than you should, your desire is going to give birth to sin. You may not actually do the sin, but the the sin is now in your head. You've let the sin into your back room, and now you have sin. Okay? You've allowed yourself to meditate it. What do you do now? You repent. That means to turn. You can't change the fact that you sinned. You can't. But what you can do is you could turn to that and rest and rely on the gracious forgiveness of God in Christ. I think many times that's where I'm at. I don't run, but praise God, he gives me me the ability to repent. And I urge you to be a people of repentance. Repent means to turn, go the other way. But there's a third option, and this is not good. He says, when sin becomes fully grown, it brings forth death. You had the option to run, you didn't take it. You had the option after you've stumbled to repent, you didn't take it. But when sin gets fully grown, there's no return. You have an option. You're going to face trials. Endure them. You have an option. Temptations are going to come. Flee from them. That's what James is telling us. And listen, you're not alone. This brings us to point number six. God desires your victory through trials. You have all the power of heaven on your side. And there's none, we just sang about it, there is none above him, there is no equal. Okay, Your temptation, your trial is not bigger than your God. That's why we depend upon him. And look at what verse 12 says. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man, now when he says man, he's talking about humanity, men and women. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, not death but of life which God has promised to all those who love him. So the heart of God for you is victory. God paid the price to save you. Check this out. While you were his enemies, okay, while you were sinners against him, that is how amazing the love of God is towards you, that while you wanted nothing to do with him, he gave up everything for you. That is amazing. And here's what's also cool about it. You don't have to right now start thinking, okay, I want to come to Jesus. How can I clean up? He receives you just as you are. Listen, if he was willing to die for you when you were a sinner, he's willing to take you right now, today, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. He is willing to take you and to receive you. Oh my goodness, this is good news. This is gospel. This is good news. But listen very carefully, and this is what's so great about our God. His goal, though, is not to allow you to stay the same. His desire is to change you, to conform you into the image of his son, that not only in the record books of heaven are you considered sinless like Jesus, but also on earth we are sinning less and looking more like Jesus. God desires for you to live a life of maturity, of dependence, of faith, and a person who is on mission. And listen, God will do whatever it takes to produce these things in you. 
So if a trial is coming, know this. It's from a good and gracious Father who wants to turn you into something that is absolutely, eternally precious. Which brings us to verse 17. James 17, and I close with 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadows due to change. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me break this down real quick. This is so amazing as we wrap this thought up. God's desire is victory through your trials. Number one, what is a good gift? All It says in there that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Okay, it's from heaven. It's from God. Good gift. Listen, everything that God gives you is good. It may not feel good. Just like taking that medication, right? It doesn't feel good, but it has a good effect. Every good gift, God gives you only what is good. But I love this too. And every perfect gift. You know what that means? He gives us not only good things, He gives us exactly what we need. That's perfect. You know what I'm talking about. You may get gifts from someone that you know and love, and some some years they're really expensive, and you're like, that's a good gift. But some years, they may give you something that may not have cost them a lot of money, but it was perfect. You know what I mean? That poem or that trip or whatever, and it's like, that didn't cost much money, but they knew that's exactly what I wanted. That is how intimately involved God is in your life. He gives you good things, but he always gives you the right things. And that's something that you and I can celebrate about God. And of course he would do these things. Because look at what it says. His character is light. He's the father of lights. So if he's that kind of character, if he's perfect in all things, and he's good in all things, well, of course he's going to give you good things. And he won't allow anything different. So what, good, what gift is good? What gift is perfect? What is the gift that you desperately need today? I'm glad that we don't have to struggle to answer that question. Because Jesus himself says it in Luke eleven thirteen. He says, if you fathers, okay, if you parents, if you moms, we already admitted that we're some evil people, right? We've already admitted that. We got our own desires. If we know how to give good gifts to our kid, listen to what God says. How much more will the heavenly father give us good gifts? What does it say? The Holy Spirit. To those who ask him. What does every believer need? Here's what you need. You need ever present help in your time of need. That's what you need today. You need someone to teach you truth. You need someone to convict you of sin. You need someone who prays for you. You need someone who comforts you. And reveals God's wisdom to you. And guess what? Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? I have God, the Holy Spirit, with me all the time to give me exactly what I need. That's what you get when you come to Christ. You don't get the ability to say, Ooh, I'm now the rich uh, person. Look at my bank account. God never promised you that. God never promised you that he'd er eradicate your cancer. He never promised you that. But he did promise that if you would give your life to Christ, he will always be there for you. He'll give you strength in the midst of your great weakness. He'll give you peace in the midst of a world falling apart. He'll give you godly counsel. And he'll give you eternal life. 
but you can be face to face with him for all of eternity. You'll be with all those people who have received Christ before as well. That's what he promises to give. So here's the question. Trial, temptation, self or Christ? What path are you going to take? Who are you going to follow? Trials are coming. Endure and become mature. Temptations are coming from within. Run and repent. Death is coming to all. So I ask you to know the one who desires to give you eternal life. Your sin is going to separate you from God. And the ultimate result in that is death and hell. But listen, because of the goodness of God, Christ's sacrifice unites us, not separates us, unites us so that we can have life in heaven. Two options. Grow through trials with Christ or stumble alone in temptation. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, may it to reside on every heart, especially mine. God, I need your wisdom. I need to depend upon you because you know all things and I know so little. God, my prayer that t- is that everyone who is here this morning, everyone within the sound of my voice, would know that they know that they know that they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's none other that can forgive sin. There's none other that could pay for our sins. So God, please, if someone here is struggling in their walk with you or have no walk with you, God, that today they would be bold enough to come and receive you as their Savior and their Lord. And God, I pray for believers. Lord, we have, we have gotten our feet dirty. We've allowed ourselves to run away from trials and instead get ensnared in temptations. Father God, my prayer today is that they would stop doubting. That they would repent while there's still time. And God, that they would rededicate themselves to a new and a fresh walk with you. Dependent, maturing, faith-filled walk that only comes by leaning upon you. We beg this. We pray pray this in Christ's name. Amen.